Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, March 22nd, 2020, we continue our series titled, Live Different, the Sermon on the Mount. Today's sermon, The Lord's Prayer Part 2, will be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens out of Matthew chapter 6, verses 11 through 15. Enjoy. Man, I am so excited to be here and to bring God's word. It can't be anything other than divine providence that we would be working through the Sermon on the Mount and that today we would be talking and closing up uh, the Lord's Prayer. So with that, if you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6, uh, we'll be in our text is from 11 through 15. I want to say to you that this prayer is less about uh, how you say it or uh, that you repeat the words exactly. I want to encourage you that this prayer is about lifestyle. When Paul tells us to pray without ceasing, we are to pray like this. And so what he is doing is Jesus is unveiling to us that the motivation of prayer is really what matters, that we understand where we are. We understand to whom we're speaking. And we understand most, uh, most certainly that it is about God and about his kingdom. So with that, I, I was thinking over the week um, just how I would introduce uh, an anecdotal story about this. And I remember a time when I was in uh, college, I had a dear brother, a friend uh, who I'd grown up with since kindergarten. And uh, we were both at the same university. Uh, we both were raised in the same uh, environment, same culture. Uh, we came from a fairly affluent background. And uh, I remember he was writing uh, a report uh, for school and the report had to be about homeless and about the homelessness that was going on in Los Angeles at the time. And what was fascinating to me is that he said, I just can't relate to what's going on here. I can't relate uh, to being homeless. I've never had to go uh, a day, let alone a week, without a meal. I've never not been in plenty. I've never been in want. And as he was struggling with this, he, it came upon him that he himself would become a homeless man. And although he knew that there was light at the end of his tunnel, he knew that in fact he was only gonna be on the streets for seven days. I remember thinking to myself, this is crazy. He's gonna go out on the streets and he's going to live with the homeless. He took no wallet, he took no money. He took some bottled water and we laughed at him because he had a brand new sleeping bag that he went and bought from Big Five. And he had a pillow. And so he took to the streets. He literally went down to Skid Row and he began to live amongst the homeless. On night two, it began to rain. And he slept the entire time. He didn't understand why there was a migration of the homeless. And in fact, they were all taking for spots under bridges and in doorsteps and finding a place where they would be out of the rain. But he didn't find one of those places. He spent the entire night in the pouring rain. He woke up the next day completely exhausted. He found himself in such difficulty and such sorrow. And he knew that it's only the beginning of day three. And in that day, he sat up near his sleeping bag. He had his hands on his head and he was saying, man, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I haven't eaten in three days. I'm starving. And about that time, a man came up to him. He says, he describes it as, I could smell him coming. 
And as the man walked up to him, he, he began to be fearful. And he thought, man, what is this guy going to do? What is he going to say? And as the man approached him, he reached in his pocket and he pulled out an apple. And he handed it to him and he says, brother, you look like you could use this right now. My buddy looked up at him, shattered, broken, that this man who has nothing was handing him an apple. And as the man handed him the apple, he looked at him and he says, go on, take it, because God will provide me another. You see, this homeless man was living the Lord's prayer in complete trust and complete and total dependence upon our Savior. Last week, Thomas preached to us and he talked about the prayer. The prayer allows the infinite privilege of communing with the omniscient creator of the universe. Given that privileges bring with them new responsibilities. We want to make sure that we are fulfilling our responsibility to pray as we ought to. And according to the model that Jesus gives us in the Lord's Prayer, our first concern as we pray is to be for the expansion of God's kingdom. The expansion of God's kingdom. And to that end, we pray for God's name to be hallowed, for God's kingdom to come, and for God's will to be done. And having oriented ourselves in prayer with a proper focus on the kingdom, we are then free to ask the Lord to supply our needs. Our text today, Matthew 6, 11 through 15, says this, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then Jesus wants to come back and reiterate one more point that he wants to drive home here. In verse 14, he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Let me pray real quick. Our father and our God, we know that you are the one that is in heaven you are the one that is holy and perfect. It is your kingdom that will expand and is to come. And it is, in fact, your will that will be done. Lord, I pray today that we would find ourselves dependent upon you and living our lives to the glory of Christ Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. The Lord's Prayer includes three specific petitions that we pray for ourselves and our loved ones as Christ has for us. We can't forget that our Lord is an intermediator that is praying for us right now. He is our advocate. When we understand that the presence of God is at all times, then we start to have a better understanding when we ask the Lord to supply our daily needs. That is, supply our physical needs. The second thing we ask God to forgive us our sins, which is a petition for the Lord to meet our spiritual needs for forgiveness. And the third petition, uh, petition in the Lord's Prayer in which we ask him to meet one of our specific needs, 
We ask him for spiritual protection when we pray that he lead us not into temptation, but that he deliver us from evil. We can never ever forget that as a Christian, you are always in spiritual war. The evil one is always trying to lure and entice you by your desires and by your lust away from your relationship with our heavenly father. But our first point today is this, divine provision. It is a divine provision that God would give us our daily bread. Matthew 6, 11 tells us to pray this way, that we would give us this day our daily bread. The first thing that I want to note here is that our requests are first and foremost to be actual necessities. This is difficult in our American uh, uh, affluence. We oftentimes have a difficulty defining the difference between need and want. When we petition our Lord, we go to him with our needs. It is not wrong to ask the Lord, though, to give us things that are not true needs, as long as those things are not sinful in themselves. I can give you an illustration of this sinful aspect of not needs, where in fact God did and has lavished his kindness upon me. Recently, I took a trip over to Home Depot, which is in fact an affluent man's playground. And as I walked through Home Depot with my wants going on, I recognized and realized that the whole purpose that I'm there is because right now we're doing some spring cleaning and cleaning out our garage with all the junk we've accumulated over the years. As I'm walking through just to get totes, I realize that I'm lusting after the idea of buying a new saw. In fact, the very garage that I'm looking to dismantle and get rid of is me wanting to refill it with junk that I gotta be honest with you, I will never in fact use. I had a brand new chop saw that sat in my garage and never came out of the box because I needed it. Sometimes we find ourselves asking for the wrong things, but yet even in the kindness of God, he continues to give it to us. And all along, it's been just a giant test. Will I be faithful to glorify him in each moment? When we start to realize that we are not focusing on God's sustenance of all we need to stay alive, we have a tendency to get sideways. We're living in times right now where Jill and I went for a walk yesterday evening and we literally encountered hundreds of our neighbors simply because there's no sports, simply because there's no work right now simply because people are being forced to live in isolation with this social distancing, what I'm seeing is in fact God drawing families closer together. These are incredible times and God is doing incredible things. The Lord himself does not promise to give us everything we have ever wanted, but he does in fact pledge to meet the needs of his children. Paul says it this way in Philippians 4.19. He says, God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So in fact, we are to trust him to provide us with all that we need. We have to note though that we are to pray for daily bread. When we ask the Lord to meet our needs, the adjective that's used there daily reminds us that we depend on the Lord moment upon moment for our existence. 
God does not guarantee what tomorrow will bring. He pledges to sustain us today. And praying for our daily need reminds us not to presume upon the Almighty for the future. In fact, so, t- so many times we're so focused on the future that we're not adequately focused on the present. And any plans we make should be held unto loosely. I had all kinds of plans in the last couple weeks. But it's been amazing to see what God does when we let go of those plans and we look for his leadership in our lives. We hold on to them loosely because we do not know what lies ahead of us. And God works things out contrary oftentimes to our plans. An old professor of mine, James Montgomery Boyce said this, we are to live in a moment by moment dependence upon God. To live in a moment by moment dependence upon God. You see, the Lord has blessed many of us in the world today with technology. We're using this technology as I speak. And it makes us have abilities to reach further distances, do greater things. Even technologies that are out there today that helps us grow larger amounts of food and even technology to store it in larger and larger warehouses. But what we find ourselves realizing is that there are mountains of money that oftentimes prevent you from knowing God and knowing the God that desires to be known and followed in a motivation of dependence. As such, we may not have the same sense of dependence on God. This dependence upon God is often, in fact, Pastor Thomas and I were talking uh, last week about how this wrestling match with give us this day our daily bread. I have to be honest with you, I've never had to pray that. I've never had to be in a position where I'm gonna go without a meal or let alone have the money to pay for that meal. So in my own wrestling with this, what does this actually mean? If God is in fact saying that I ought to pray like this, what does it mean? Here's what I believe it means. For many of us, we have such affluence that we oftentimes neglect to give credit where credit is due. We forget to give thanks for that which we are about to receive because we think that it came by our own works and our own hands. In fact, it is God who provided it. I had a dear brother who, in fact, grew up in the Appalachians of Kentucky. And he was a preacher's son. And he said to me, Jeff, I don't think you have any idea what it is to be poor. And he talked about how his family would pray twice at every meal. In the first of the meal, they would pray and give thanks for the meal that they were about to receive. Then as they finished the meal, they would pray and say, now Lord, you know that that was the last of our food and we don't know where our next meal will come from and we put ourselves in dependence and trust upon you. Do you pray that way? Do you live your life in such dependence and such relishing in the glory of God in his provision? that we don't forget to give credit where credit is due for even our daily physical needs. We should be grateful for the Lord's blessing, 
but we should also not lose sight of the fact that in, it is the Lord and not our technologies or our works or our money that we make. In fact, none of it, in fact, belongs to us. It all, in fact, belongs to him. Praying for our daily bread will help us do just that. Remind us of who's in control and where it came from. If there's a takeaway for daily bread, I would say it this way. We live in a fallen world and two things are abundantly clear. There are the haves and the have-nots. And we must remember that the God who created the one created the other as well. That's hard for us to get our arms around. But Ecclesiastes 7 verse 14 says this. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other so that his reason for doing this, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In other words, you will not know or ever know what tomorrow brings. His very design is that we would be dependent upon him. You see, as sinners, we're not owed anything by God. Not even the bread we eat every single day. Asking God to provide us with our daily bread helps us remember his grace, not only in saving us from sin, but also in meeting our physical needs by sustaining us. The very breath that comes out of my lungs is provided by God. And I would hope that we would ever be aware of the Lord's sustaining hand. And may we seek him daily for our every need. Point two. Divine forgiveness. He says in, in verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So as we continue our study in the Lord's Prayer, one thing that is helpful for us to keep in mind is that prayer is understanding that we are not informing God of anything new. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. So whatever we tell him in prayer, he already knows one of my daughters, when she was a child, after I had preached something about the omniscience of God and the all-knowing nature of God, came to me and said, Dad, I heard what you said when you were preaching, but he doesn't really know what I do in my room, right? Yeah, he knows what you do in your room. He knows what you're doing at all times. We at all times lay naked and bare before a holy God. He knows not only your thoughts, he knows your actions, he knows, in fact, your very core of your being, your motivations, for why you're doing what you've done. The Lord wants us to pray for our needs, but our Father knows our needs before we even ask. And in some measure, prayer is more about us than it is about God. He wants us to understand and confess our utter reliance on Him. Prayer is the vehicle for that. Regular prayer reminds us of our dependence upon the Lord which of course cannot but move us to be more self-consciously dependent upon him. For the Christian, divine omniscience is a comforting truth because God already knows everything and trying to hide something from him is in fact pointless. We can be brutally honest about ourselves for the Lord already knows us and what we have done even prior to our praying to him. This is the good news. 
that even he knows everything that you've done and everything that you're going to do, he still not only loves you, he likes you because of the works and the righteousness of Jesus Christ, because of what he has done and accomplished on your behalf, because he has satisfied the wrath that was due unto you and to me. He sets us free from from the consequences of our sin. And he restores a right relationship with us. Trying to hide something from him is pointless. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Psalm 139.1 says, O Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. We should note that there is a qualifier that comes in Matthew 6. Verse 12, because we ask God to forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You see, what this does is it establishes a link between the Lord's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others. It's not that our forgiveness of others merits God's forgiveness of us. Don't miss that point. It's not that our forgiveness of others merits God's forgiveness of us. That would, of course, deny that our salvation is by grace alone. Jesus' point, rather, is to underscore, underscore how we always stand in the presence of our Creator. And we always stand before Him as forgiven sinners. And to make us aware that with God's forgiveness of us comes our responsibility to thus forgive others. Man, I know that I have entered into his throne room asking God to forgive me, knowing that I'm holding something against somebody else. It causes fear and trepidation in my life. Our Savior warns us that those who are willing to forgive others have not understood the grace of the Lord. And therefore, you have to question, are you in fact even saved? If you can't forgive someone, the way that Jesus Christ forgave you, then examine your being. Examine the core of yourself. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul says, examine yourselves. Test yourselves. Or do you fail the test? Is faith not in you? Brothers and sisters, you must take up your cross. You must forgive your brothers and your sisters. You must forgive maybe a parent that you're estranged to or an uncle or a cousin. I want you to hear this clearly. You must forgive. You must set yourself free from that bondage so that you can experience the fullness of God's blessing upon your life. If there's any takeaway from forgiveness, I would say this. When others come to us for forgiveness and ask for our pardon, we must forgive them. We cannot continue to hold their sin against them or harbor bitterness in our hearts towards them. In so far as we are able, we are to pursue reconciliation with God and restoration with one another. But we are not to do this by ignoring justice. There are sins that are committed against us that violate civil law. If someone has committed a civil law, then call the police. And even as they're incarcerating them, forgive them. 
for they know not what they do. This is what our Savior has done. He gives us these moments in our life. He gives us these moments so that we will draw near to him, that we will lay naked and bare before him, knowing that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He preemptively forgave us. Imagine a world where you forgive someone and you no longer hold that sin against them. And rather than going to them to silently or subvertly condemn them, you in fact go to them and you say, brother or sister, will you forgive me? Because in these times of, of alienation, in these times of difficulties in our relationship, I have had anger in my heart. I've committed murder in my heart. Will you forgive me? Oh man, that changes everything. It places the relationship in such a great position. And it's difficult. It's what leads us to our point three, divine testing. You see, there's a divine test that's given us in verse 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, when we ask God not to lead us into temptation, we're not saying, God, please do not tempt us to sin. That's not the context here. James 1.13 tells us that God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So we know that the temptation is not coming from God. Our creator is morally incapable of being, uh, of being an agent of temptation. The world, our flesh, the devil are all sources of direct temptation for us. But don't forget that God himself is not the tempter. He sovereignly permits the world, the flesh, and even the devil to tempt us. Thereby establishing his sovereign decree, that which he's spoken into existence, that temptation will in fact come. Right, James 1 says, consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials. Not if, when. Just like here, our assumption is when you pray. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. But he himself is not the tempter and never morally blameworthy for evil or for sin. God does not tempt people to sin. But in his permitting our temptation, he does test us. This is why we call it a divine test. The Lord establishes a test like he did for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when he forbade them from eating the forbidden fruit. But he did not tempt our very first parents. Satan did. If you need the reminder and go back and listen to our sermons through Genesis, it's in Genesis 3 that we see the serpent is the one that is tempting Eve and ultimately Adam. In a similar way, the Lord tested Job by allowing Satan to interfere in his life and tempt him to curse God. That was Satan's goal, to get Job to curse God. But our maker did not introduce temptation into Job's life. We start to realize that in these various uh, temptations, 
we have to acknowledge the reality that God tempts no one and looks at the grammatical, when we look at the grammatical structure of today's passage, then we understand what the petition for protection in the Lord's prayer is asking. It says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It is the exhibits, the synonyms and the parallelism and the grammatical convention that's frequently used by the Jewish culture at this time. In a synonym or a parallel, there's two lines that express the same truth, but in slightly different ways. So deliver us from evil tells us what it means for God to lead us into temptation. It's that second part that defines the first part. Many of the English translations recognize the line is better translated this way. Deliver us from the evil one. The word that is used there defines the evil one. It's referring to Satan. And essentially the petition is asking the Lord to preserve us from a time of testing. Lead me not into temptation is Lord, lead me through the test. And it's for the purposes of keeping us safe from the temptations of the devil himself. And like in the other subjects, the takeaway of temptation is this. God will not allow Satan to snatch any of his children from his hand. And one of the ways by which he keeps us in his hand is in our prayers for perseverance. We pray for the Lord to protect us from Satan so that we may do God's will and so that we will press on and remain faithful to him in all times of testing. Brothers and sisters, if you're not in a test right now, then there's one coming. It's time to draw near to God, to consider it pure joy, for you know the motivation of our Savior, that he is persevering you. He is causing you to grow in your faithfulness to him. We should pray for our daily protection from the devil and for grace, the grace to remain faithful to Christ. My fourth point, divine consequence. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, Jesus comes back and he seems to repeat something that he's already said. He's making a clarification. He doesn't want there to be any ambiguity. He doesn't want you to think that this is not a big deal. It's almost as if he says, hey, pay attention. This is a big deal. But what he says in verse 14 For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Man, that's frightening language. I want to remind you what our role is. The very model of grace that we've received from Christ was a preemptive grace. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In 2 Corinthians, it makes reference to this, that he preemptively forgave you and didn't hold your trespasses against you. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21 says this, from now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us to, do, to us the message of reconciliation. He gave you the message to deliver the message of reconciliation. And he says, therefore, because of this, that I've given you this message, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If we are to have right relationship with God, if we are to live in right community, then we must in fact pick up and be the ambassador that God has called you to be. We understand in God's forgiveness, right? A commitment by the one true God to pardon graciously with premeditation to see a person reconciled to God and restored in right relationship to the one true God. This is about right relationship. The way that a Christian forgives as an ambassador. As an ambassador of Christ, we follow his model of grace. We forgive with premeditation and no longer hold their sin against them. For some, this is gonna be difficult. It's difficult to forgive someone because oftentimes we, with error, we think that forgiveness equals trust. They do not. But yet the call as an ambassador is to forgive a person and to no longer hold their sin against them. And when we in fact approach that person, I therefore have nothing to talk to them about them. This is called removing the log from our own eye before we go after the speck in our brothers. And in fact, I come to them and I say, brother, will you forgive me? Man, this is so against our American culture. It's so against our American justice system where you are entitled to your pound of flesh. We are entitled to nothing. We are called as ambassadors to glorify the Son of God, to imitate him in our life. You are a Christian, a little Christ, an ambassador who is delivering his message so that people will in fact, in his expansion of his kingdom, be reconciled to God and restored to your brothers and sisters. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 Peter 3.9 says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called as an ambassador that you may obtain a blessing. Don't cheat yourself out of this blessing. Follow our Savior. Maybe it comes back to even how you go about asking for your daily bread. Maybe what Jesus was saying to the rich young ruler when he said, give all that you have to the poor and follow me was just merely a test. 
Have you ever thought about placing yourself intentionally into a position where there is no choice but to be dependent upon Christ Jesus? Well, as you're sitting at home in isolation and going through this period of time of distance socially, I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, not to become relationally distant. You may have to stay an arm's length away from someone, but I am telling you, you must reach out to your brothers and sisters via phone, whether it's via Zoom, joining a small group, or whether it is in fact just logging on and being a part of of these live streams on Sundays. But don't lose sight of the fellowship. But learn to forgive the way that God has forgiven you. Stephen, as he was being stoned to death, illustrates the principle of forgiveness. He echoed those words of Jesus when Jesus on the cross says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But Stephen, as he's being stoned to death, cried out and said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. You see, Stephen was simply praying that God would forgive his murderers because he wanted the expansion of his kingdom and that reconciliation unto God is what precedes restoration. He wanted them in right relationship with God himself because when we're in right relationship with God, then we'll be in right relationship with each other. The Bible commands a very counterintuitive action for the believing Christian. Romans 12, 20 says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Those burning coals are kindness. It's a kindness. In fact, Romans 2, 4 says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing this simple little truth, right? that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So let me leave you with some guidelines. Guidelines for godly living. Number one, know that God is holy and you are speaking with him right now. When you enter into his throne room, you are entering into the presence of holy God. Number two, know that your desire is for life on earth to be as it is in heaven that you would be in perfect and right relationship with God and therefore in right relationship with others. We are to be also dependent upon him for our daily provision. It's not about your retirement plan. It's about dependence upon him right now. We are to have a heart that is ready to forgive at a moment's notice. And in that moment's notice, we must acknowledge the fact of evil that love must be genuine. Romans 12, nine says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Cling to the cross, brothers and sisters. Leave no room for bitterness, revenge, grudges, or retaliation. Trust God to give you the ability to overcome evil with good, even to love and feed your enemies. But I leave you with the simplicity of Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted. Forgive one another as, as God in Christ forgave you. As I call up the worship team, 
And we spend our moments in additional worship, singing songs of praise to our God. I want to remind you as Christians, we are a people with a holy and a sovereign God. And therefore we are motivated by his spirit to trust and depend upon the creator and the sustainer of our salvation. But our growing sanctification as well. I know what sanctification feels like. It feels like God is pulling you through a keyhole by your feet. He's stripping you of all of your worldly and earthly dependencies. Today is this unique opportunity that when you pray in your homes, I want you today to pray as God directed us or as Thomas directed us last week. Maybe even now as we enter into worship, that for one last time we would find ourselves humbled on our knees or standing with our arms extended, but praying to him through our songs of worship. Brothers and sisters, we need your help. If you go to our webpage, to highlandschurch.org, on the very front page, there's a little, little link there that says, need help with a question mark. In these times, we need your help to donate dollars and food. You'll see an I can help button. We need you to volunteer if you're strong and healthy. Yesterday, as I was at the grocery store, I literally watched one man with an oxygen tank in his 80s pushing a shopping cart. This man needs to be at home, and we need to go do the shopping for him. If you are a person that is watching today and you need help, would you please make us aware? In the days and weeks that are coming, we will be calling you in your home, on your phones, and asking how we can be of help. But now as a time, as brothers and sisters, is not to go to church, not to do church, but to be the church. For every epidemic there's ever been in history, it is the church that ran towards it. We want to take this responsibility to heart. And we want to be here for people in our community to help them. So please help us do that. But as I close today, we'll close as Thomas did last week, as we recite the Lord's Prayer in context. And I want to remind you this is less about words. A mentor of mine years ago told me the Lord's Prayer is less about speaking words and more about living without ceasing. It's a lifestyle. Ecclesiastes 5.2 says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. As we go through the Lord's Prayer here, our Father in heaven, know where you're standing. Know whose presence you're in. Reflect on who God is and your relationship with him. Hallowed be your name. Praise God for who he is, what he has done, and what he will continue to do. Your kingdom come. Acknowledge God as king and express your desire for his kingdom to grow and expand. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
surrender that situation, that estranged relationship in your life. Hand it over to God to have his way with it. Give us this day our daily bread. In wealth or in poverty, we need to truly depend upon his provision. For even in your wealth, everything you have came from him. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive as Christ forgave you. Be reconciled to God and restored to people. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Know that your faith is what's on trial. It's what's being tested. And you must master the temptation to fall into the devil's snare. Ask God to protect you from the evil one. Brothers and sisters, I long to shake your hand. I long to hug you. I long to have fellowship and prayer with you face to face. Use the resources of the church so that we can help you or so that you as the church can help others. Take this time to grow in your relationships. Be reconciled to God and restored with others. To God be the glory. I love you and I miss you. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.